Scripture reading this morning for Cody's lesson will come from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. King James Version reads, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Good morning to each one. It is great to be here and be able to worship God today. And those of you who are visiting with us, again, we want you to know that we're thankful that you've chosen to come here today, and we hope that you find a warm welcome here. And um, we hope that you will uh, take uh, whatever opportunity that you might have to come and be with us again. But before you leave today, be sure and give us an opportunity to shake your hand and get to know you a little bit. And maybe there's some way that we can help you or serve you in some way. And if that's the case, please let us know because we'd love to do it. If you don't uh, have your Bibles open already, I would encourage you to open them to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be studying today from Colossians. We're going to begin in a moment in Colossians chapter 3. You have heard it said that as goes the home, so goes the nation. And that sentiment is true. The home is a divine institution, but the home is also the, really, heartbeat of society. And the New Testament, of course, the events unfolded during the time of the Roman Empire. And the Romans understood, incidentally, they understood the concept of, as goes the home, so goes the nation. And they understood that so much that they actually viewed each home as a miniature version of the state. And the man of that house, he was to rule his house with the state in mind. He ruled his house with authority, and he had the authority to conduct his home after the dictates and the expectation of Roman law and Roman society. In fact, so much Uh, So great was his power, and so serious did they take this idea that the man of the house even had the ability to render the death penalty to those in his family if he saw fit. But for Christians, things were and are very different. The gospel calls people to come out of the world. You remember 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. We're a peculiar people and a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. And our job is to show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into light. The Bible tells us that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. So when we obey the call of the gospel, it is the gospel that completely transforms us and completely renders us different from the expectations and the norms that exist in our world and in our society. That is true today. That was true then. 
And it is true for every part of our life, including and especially our homes and our marriages. So when we turn our attention to a passage like Colossians 3, verse 18 and 19, what we're finding is God's expectation for how families and homes and marriages are to function. Rome wanted marriages and homes and families to function as a miniature version of the state because in their mind, there's nothing greater than the exaltation of the state or the nation or the people. But God has instructed and God has designed our homes and our families in such a way that they are to function not to the glory of the state or even the glory of a people, But our homes are designed to function in such a way that they honor and that they glorify God. That they are heaven-focused. That they put God first. And that's why we read in Colossians 3, verse 18 and following, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in uh, all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, uh, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, pleasing God. This morning, we're only focusing on verse 18 and 19, wives and husbands. I want you to notice with me that wives are called to submit to their husbands in Colossians 3 verse 18. This submission is a willing submission. And notice that he says, as is fitting or as is appropriate in the Lord. This should bring to mind Ephesians 5 verse 22 to 24. But also husbands are called in Colossians 3.19 to love their wives and not to be harsh or bitter against them. That should bring to mind Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 33. In Ephesians 5, wives are told, submit to your husbands, but husbands are told, love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It is a willing submission on one part, but it is a sacrificial, tender love on the other part. But now, let's look at this from a different perspective. As you look at Colossians 3, verse 18 and 19, you notice that by the time we arrive at this point in the book of Colossians, we're really getting toward the conclusion of the book. In fact, this book can be divided, we talked about this last Sunday evening, into basically three parts, doctrine, chapter 1, defense, chapter 2, and duty, chapter 3 and 4. But also you can think of it in this way. Chapters 1 and 2 would be the doctrinal section. Chapters 3 and 4 would be the practical section. In other words, by the time we get to chapter 3, and especially verses 18 and 19, we are reading instructions from God that are based upon the foundation, the material that is set forth in chapter 1 and chapter 2. You see, the book of Colossians is a book that is all about giving Christ the preeminence. It's all about glorifying God. It's all about recognizing that Christ is all and in all. And so when we get to Colossians 3, verse 18 and following, and we start reading about the family, about husbands and wives and children and parents and so on, what we're reading about are the actions that will follow logically in a home which has Christ 
as its head and in a home which is striving to exalt and glorify Christ in everything, in every way, all the time, without exception. So what I'd actually like for us to do this morning is not take the time to work through verse 18 and 19. But I'd like for us to go back to chapter 1 in this book and I would like for us to notice together some major points that Paul lays out in this book that will necessarily be the foundation for a marriage that functions according to Colossians 3 verse 18 and 19. A marriage that seeks to honor and glorify God is one where wives submit to their husbands and husbands love their wives and are not bitter against them. But before we get to that point, there are some other things that must be set in order. And that's what we want to think about today. So turn with me in your Bibles now to Colossians chapter 1. And I want us to think for a couple of minutes about Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 20. Our first point today is this, a marriage that honors God is a marriage that gives Christ preeminence. A marriage that honors God is a marriage that gives Christ preeminence. I said before that this book is a book that is all about exalting Jesus Christ. And the reason is because the Apostle Paul is dealing with a system of false doctrine that essentially seeks to take Christ and remove him from his throne. So in chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, we really have what's the meat of the entire book, where Paul says a number of things about Christ Jesus for the purpose of exalting him and showing his preeminence. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, verse 15. For by him were all things created, uh, verse number 16. He is before all things, and in him all things consist, verse 17. He is the head of the body, the church, verse 18. It pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell, verse 19. And by him God has reconciled us to himself, verse 20. One word ought to come to mind when we study through those verses, and that word is preeminence. Now let's apply this to our marriages. If I were to ask you this morning to summarize your marriage in one word, what word would you choose? If I were to ask you, what is it that, what is it that describes the essence of your marriage best, what would that be? And then let me ask it another way. What occupies the position of preeminence in your marriage? Those two questions may sound different, but I would suggest to you that they're really not. They're one and the same. Because the thing that is most important in my marriage is the thing that is going to best summarize what it's all about. So what summarizes your relationship with your spouse? What is the most important thing in your marriage and in your home? You know, for some people, it's fun. Their spouse is essentially a friend that they can go on vacations with. For some people, it's money, both uh, work and work and work. They work to have it all. For some, it's their kids. They put their kids, uh, they put so much emphasis and effort into their children that their children take first place and essentially their children become their idols. For some, it's self. Each spouse focuses exclusively on his or her own happiness because that's the most important thing for them and their marriage is simply a vehicle in order to make them happy. But what about you? 
If I'm trying to have a marriage that's going to honor and please God, then my marriage, the the most important thing, it's going to have to be Jesus Christ. He's going to have to have preeminence. He must be the focal point. We must understand that God created marriage for his glory. Marriage is not just something that God created so that I can enter into that bond and the sole reason for that is just to make me happy so that I can do whatever I want and be whoever I want. But marriage rather was created so that man can better glorify God. Remember what God said in Genesis chapter uh, Genesis chapter 2 when he made woman and he made marriage. God gave Adam a responsibility, and his responsibility was to name all of the animals, you remember. And there was a pair for every animal, but there wasn't one for Adam. And so God said, I am going to make a help meet, or a help that is appropriate, or a help that is suitable for him. Oftentimes when we talk about marriage and we talk to young people about choosing their spouse, usually what we say is something like this, you choose somebody that's going to help you get to heaven. And that's exactly right. That's exactly true. And the reason is because when I enter into the bond of marriage, what ought to be most uh, to the what ought to be at the forefront of my mind is we're going to magnify God together, Psalm 34 and verse number 3, and we're going to glorify God together and we're going to help one another in the process to be the people that God wants us to be. Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 24 and 27, Those that hear the things that I say and do them, they're like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rains came and the winds blew, the storms and the waves crashed on that house, but it stood firm. But those that are not willing to hear and do, they're like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rains and the storms came and blew on that house, it fell and great was its fall. You have a contrast in those verses in foundation in priorities, in things that are the most important. What's most important in your marriage? What's the foundation? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer uh, to everyone that asks you of the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. Focus on the idea of sanctifying the Lord in our hearts. The idea is to create a special place, carve out a special place for him, put him on the throne of your heart. What... uh, What occupies the throne in our marriage? Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. He's talking about sacrifice. He's talking about followership. He's talking about putting Jesus first. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, the Bible tells us that God has highly exalted Jesus Christ. And uh, that at the name of Christ, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things of earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Over and over and over again, the Bible emphasizes the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The Bible emphasizes the lordship of Christ Jesus. And the Bible emphasizes the fact that Jesus in my life will either be Lord of all or he will not be Lord at all. And that same principle applies to my marriage. If my marriage is seeking to honor God and if Christ really has preeminence, then every decision that my spouse and I make will be in view of exalting Christ Jesus. It really doesn't matter if it's an easy decision or a difficult decision. It really doesn't matter if it's a a problem or if a time of pain or a time of joy. Every decision 
will be made in view of exalting Christ. Every crisis will be handled in view of exalting Christ. Every disagreement will be handled with a view of exalting Christ. Times of joy, times of sadness, times of sickness, be it life or death, we will say together, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Psalm 34 and verse number 3. If my marriage is going to honor God, Christ has to be first. Period. Look at Colossians chapter 2 now. A marriage that seeks to honor God is a marriage that makes Christ preeminent, number one. But number two, it is a marriage that guards against the enemy's attacks. Colossians 2 verse 6 to 8 says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. I want you to look with me in verse number 8 at the word cheat. That's New King James Version. The King James Version uses the word spoil, if I'm not mistaken. There's a pretty interesting word picture here in the original language. The idea of it is um, prisoners of, or I'm sorry, the idea of it is being kidnapped. And so literally what Paul is saying, don't let anybody come in and kidnap you according to philosophy, or through philosophy and empty or vain deceit according to the things of the world and not according to Christ. You see, he's told them in chapter 1, Christ is preeminent. And here's all the reasons why, verse 15 to 20. Now in chapter 2, he's telling them, don't let anybody come in here and convince you otherwise. He's telling them to guard against the enemy's attacks. Is it true that the enemy, the devil, currently makes attempts to thwart our marriages, to defeat our families? Yes, that's absolutely true. Unless you've had your head in the sand over the last 10 years or so, you know about all of the things that are going on in our world, all of the attacks to our families, uh, the way that the devil is working to try and undermine the home and so on. Let me ask you this morning, though, What about the things that may go unnoticed? There are things that we talk about on a regular basis like gender roles and homosexuality and things of that nature. We we know about those things. But let me ask you, what about some things that sometimes exist in our marriages that the devil can use to try and defeat us that we sometimes really just don't think a whole lot about? Things like stress, for example. Do you know stress can negatively affect your marriage? Stress causes a number of problems, like health problems. Stress causes people sometimes to be irritable or snippy. You ever had a stressful day at work and came home and taken it out on your spouse? Stress can cause problems that can build a wall between me and my spouse. What about time? How much time are we spending together as a couple? Where are we spending our time? How do you spell love? Time, T-I-M-E. And the reason is because the things that we love the most are the things that we spend the most attention to or give the most attention to. Do we talk to one another? Do we give attention to one another? Do we talk through problems and plan and go on dates and things of that nature? You could even consider intimacy along this line. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. How many extramarital affairs begin because of a lack of of uh, attention in that way at home because of a lack of time and affection that's being given at home. The devil can use time against us just like he can use stress against us. What about money? 
The Bible talks to us over and again about the, the uh, principle of stewardship. And listen, many studies have been done and tell us that some of the main reasons why divorces happen, money is one of them. Dev, the devil can use sometimes these things that maybe we don't think enough about. We think we don't have to worry about that. We'll get that fixed. We've got that whipped. But listen, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, let a man who thinks he stand take heed lest, take heed lest he falls. The devil has methods according to Ephesians 6 and verse number 11. And our responsibility is to be vigilant and to be sober and watchful. 1 Peter 5 and verse number 8. And the reason is because the devil is strategic. The enemy will come in and the enemy will use the things that maybe we don't think he'll use. He'll use them against us and he'll try to destroy and thwart our marriages so that our homes are not those that honor God. How often do you think about the importance of guarding your marriage from the attacks of the enemies? I want to remind you of something we read in Nehemiah chapter 7. You may remember from a study of Nehemiah that in the first six chapters of that book, Nehemiah is going about the business of rebuilding the walls. But by the time we get to Nehemiah chapter 7, we find that the walls are completed. And in the first three verses of that chapter, what we read is that Nehemiah placed guards at the doors and the gates and all along the walls. Why do you suppose that was the first reaction of this man who had just overseen this building project? Because Nehemiah recognized the reality that there were enemies that were trying to penetrate those walls and do away with all of the good work for God that they were able to do. He understood the importance of guarding, and we have to understand the importance of guarding as well. So we need to be mindful of preventative measures. What are we doing to protect our homes and protect our marriages? What preventative measures are we putting in place so that we're not allowing the devil to come in, uh, come in and blindly use things against us to destroy our marriages? A marriage that honors God is one that guards against the enemy. Now look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. A marriage that honors God is a marriage that makes heaven the priority. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4. There are four things in these, three, uh, in these four verses that we need to notice. First of all, there is action, verse 1 and 2. If you then were raised with Christ, notice this, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God, set your mind or your heart or your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. Seek, set your mind. This is action. This is effort. We've talked about putting Christ first. We've talked about guarding against the enemy. Listen, none of these things happen by accident. Having a marriage and a family and a life that honors God is, uh, is a reality that can only come to be if we're willing to put forth the action and the effort to make it so. Paul says, seek, set your mind. He says, aim your affection. Number two, here's your second point, location, above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In other words, if you're a New Testament Christian, your interests need not be here in this world, but your interests need to be in heaven where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We might think about the idea just uh, by way of a, of a, of a um, cross-reference. Passages like Galatians 5 and Romans 8. 
Remember in Romans 8, about verse 5 to 7, Paul contrasts the carnal mind with the spiritual mind. And he says, listen, the carnal mind is enmity with God because it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. What does that say about the spiritual mind? The opposite. The spiritual mind is a spiritual mind because it is submissive to the will of God. The spiritual mind cares what God says and submits to his will. The same thing in Galatians chapter 5. There is the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. There is this great contrast between those who are following after things that are worldly and carnal and earthly and things that... People who are following after things that are heavenly and righteous and and good. Now this is very similar to the first point in Colossians 1 verses 15 to 20 about making Christ preeminent. But it's slightly different. Because what this passage is telling me as it applies to my marriage is that when I sit down with my wife and we think about goals and we talk about the things that are most important... When we choose television shows to watch or activities to do or vacations to go on or whatever, our foremost thought is going to be we are interested in, number one, putting Christ first, and number two, we're interested in things that are heavenly, not things that are earthly and carnal. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember Matthew 6, And all these things shall be added unto you. That's what we're talking about. Putting the kingdom first. Putting God first. Caring more about the things of God than the things of the world. There's action number one. There's location number two. Number three, reason. Look what he says. Verse three. You are dead. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus said in John chapter 8, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. But then Paul said in Romans chapter 6, excuse me, Romans chapter 6, that we're no longer slaves to sin because we have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered to us. We no longer owe anything to sin or anything to the devil. We have been set free. And as those who have been set free, we ought to be far more interested in seeking things that are above Then number four, there's reward. Look at verse four. When Christ who is our life appears, then will you also appear with him in glory. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the fact that if we seek for, if we, uh, sorry, seek things which are above, set our mind toward things that are above, because we're dead, then heaven will be the ultimate end. Now how do we get from Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4 to Colossians 3, verse 18. Watch what Paul does here. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 serves as a heading or a foundation for what's going to happen over the next couple of chapters. He tells us in the first four verses that after having made Christ preeminent, Colossians chapter 1, prepared ourselves to guard against the attacks of the enemy, Colossians chapter 2, we have now made a decision that we are going to seek things heavenly, Colossians chapter 3, And if we're prepared to do do those three things, here's what's going to happen. First, notice verse 5 down through verse 17, we're going to put away the old man. Look what Paul says. Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication and uncleanness and passion and evil desire and covetous which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Just look at some of the things in the list. Fornication uncleanness, and passion. All three of these things are are, are, uh, related to sexual immorality. 
Fornication is a general term for all kinds of sexual immorality. Uncleanness is moral impurity. Passion is an ungodly, strong sexual desire. Can I ask you a question? Do you think the devil ever uses the sin of sexual immorality to try and thwart our marriages, yes or no? Absolutely he does. So what's the solution for that? Make Christ first, Colossians 1. Guard against the attacks of the enemy, Colossians 2. And set your affection on things heavenly, Colossians chapter 3. And, put, and then you'll be able to put to death these types of things. He also talks about anger. If I'm really trying to honor God with my marriage and I'm interested in things heavenly, I'm going to control my temper and not become unhinged against my spouse. He talks about lying. If I've got the kind of marriage that I'm supposed to have, I'm always going to be truthful to my spouse. And then look how in verse 12 through 17, he talks about putting on the new man. You take off the bad, you put on the good. And he talks about things like kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering and love and forgiveness. And all of those things are required and present in any marriage and family that's seeking to honor God. And then that brings us right back to where we started, Colossians 3, verse 18. The reason why Paul is able to say, wives, willingly submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter against them, is because he's already said, you put Christ first, chapter 1, you guard against the attacks of the enemies, chapter 2, you make sure you're more interested in heavenly things, chapter 3, which means you put away the bad and you put on the good, and when you do that, here's the result. Here's what your marriage will look like. Here's how it can honor God. Let me ask you a question. Why are you married? You know, there are a lot of really bad answers that people could give to that question. But I want you to look with me at one final passage this morning in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, just for a moment. Do you remember that at the end of this section, 32, 33... Paul tells us after having gone through this instruction about husbands and wives that this is a parallel. He says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. So the husband and wife relationship is a parallel to the church and Christ and the church. So look at verse 27 with that thought in mind. Picking up on the thought of verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Pay close attention to verse 26 and 27. These are passages that have to do with purpose. These are passages that have to do with goal, with reason. Why did Christ love the church and give himself for her because he's interested in her sanctity and in her holiness. He is interested in her being presented as a glorious church without spot or without wrinkle. He is interested in all of those things. Now, why am I married? As a husband, my desire for my wife and my marriage should be similar to Christ's for his bride, his church. My desire for my marriage should be that it glorifies God, that it is pure, and that it is holy, and that it honors the Father who created it. 
The reason that I am married should not be all about me. It is a commitment to the person that I am to love more than any other person on this planet to help him or her be the person that God wants them to be, to help them get to heaven. That's what it's all about. And that's possible when Christ is preeminent, when we guard against the advances of the enemy, and when we make heaven the priority. Now, what about you and your marriage and your family this morning, even your life? You see, these principles that we've talked about this morning, these are principles that obviously are not applicable just to marriage. They're applicable to every one of us and to every part of our lives. But notice this. The very principles and characteristics that are going to help me honor God with my life and be the person that God wants me to be are the same principles that are going to help me honor God with my marriage and help my marriage be what God wants it to be. The principles are universal. So how do they fit to you with your marriage, with your family? Are you putting Christ first? Are you guarding against the attacks of the enemy? Is heaven your priority? If not... Why not? The Lord's invitation is offered this morning. Perhaps there's someone this morning that would like to become a Christian. We would love to open up God's word and to study with you. The Bible says that God wants all people to be Christians and that that happens by believing in the deity of Jesus and repenting of sins and confessing faith and being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. But maybe this morning you're a Christian, and as you think about these principles from the book of Colossians, be it an application to your home, your marriage, or just you personally in your own life, maybe you see some some areas in which some improvements need to be made. Can we help you? Can we pray for you? Can we encourage you? If you have need, come forward.